the Sunday Sermons Podcast. Well, this morning we resume uh, this series called Fruit Salad. We're looking at how God takes all of us as we are, but he has way bigger plans than that. He wants to shave off some stuff, change some stuff, reshape some stuff, combine us all. Everybody's going to bring some stuff that everybody else doesn't have and everybody's going to be used in different ways, but we're all going to mingle and blend and we're all going to become more like Jesus. That's what fruit salad is all about. And this morning we've got some blueberries. Anybody else like blueberries? Anybody not like blueberries? Okay. We love you and we accept you just as you are. No, seriously, uh, I, I love how that's nothing is, there's always an exception to stuff, and I love that. But I love blueberries, and those of you who don't, if you could at least work with us on the symbols and the metaphors this morning, I think it'll still work, even if you personally don't. Because blueberries are just amazing, they're great. But I don't, one of the main things that I'd love to start with this morning is this they, they have to ripen on the bush. Do you know what I'm talking about? If you just pick them, and that's, that's frustrating. That takes a long time. And you just wait and wait. And no matter how good the, the blueberry bushes are, no matter how much you can count on them to bear fruit every year, they only do it once a year. The rest of the year, they just sit there. You got to wait on the seasons to come back around. And that's hard. But this morning, as we continue to explore these deep truths about how Jesus set stuff up, the stuff that Jesus himself said about how he came to give us a life that's full, a life that's, we live it to the full. A big part of that is to remember that seasons matter. Would you say that out loud? And if you're a person who likes to take notes, this is your first one, the underlined one, you can write that down. Let's say this together. Seasons matter. It matters a lot. In fact, almost anything that's worth anything at all, something that's lasting, something that's truly, absolutely good in this life, you have to wait a little bit. It takes time. Just like blueberries only grow once a year and they ripen and ripen and ripen and ripen until they're ready and then you can pick them. That's how it is sometimes. And I, I don't know... What you might be waiting on this morning. There's some very specific things in my life right now that I'm waiting on. I'm praying and I'm asking God every day. And it's hard to wait on. I don't know what you're waiting on, but I'd love for you here at the beginning, just, just take a moment and just lay that before God. And just say, I, I, I accept that I'm in this season. But show me something new. Can we do that together? God, we come before you. We, we acknowledge that we're in whatever season we're in right this second. But you're here. We thank you for the plans that you still have for us. We thank you for the goodness that's still here despite whatever pain, whatever frustration there is also here. Thank you for this opportunity this morning. God, speak to us, Holy Spirit. Help us to change. In Jesus' name, amen. 
This idea of seasons has been around since creation itself. God programmed this idea of rhythms all the way into it. Even the idea of seven days, work six, rest one, all of that. There's, you see that from the beginning. And then he makes it very clear in Genesis 8 after the flood when he reboots everything. He says, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. In other words, until Jesus comes back the last time, this is how it's just going to be. It's part of God's design. If there's ever anybody who experienced what it's like to go through mountains and valleys, literally and metaphorically, it's the prophet Elijah. One of the first things we see him do is climb Mount Zion, go marching right into the the throne room of the king and queen Ahab and Jezebel, two of the worst villains in the Bible. Strolls right in in his camel leather outfit and tells them that God is bringing judgment on them. It's not going to rain for three years. I don't know how much you know about seasons and weather and all that kind of stuff, but that's always a problem. If it doesn't rain at all, no matter how much you wish it didn't rain so much sometimes, if it didn't rain, we'd all be in trouble. And they knew this would be trouble, but I'm not sure they believed it. Well, he's really bold that day, but then he goes off the mountain and he goes out and he lives in a valley for a while and he's fed by ravens. By the way, these stories are found in 1 Kings 17 through 2 Kings 2. And if you have read them a hundred times or you've never read them, you should go read them this week. Great stories and it's worth way more than how I can summarize them. But I just want to let you see the flow here. Goes up on a mountain, goes down in a valley, and the birds come and feed him. And this is one of many stories in the Bible where uh, we get the idea that our church logo is a bird. Because we see countless times in the Bible that God provides and guides when we trust and obey. And for some reason, there's birds that show up. And primarily, it's the Holy Spirit represented by a dove. Everybody heard of that one, I'm sure. That, but, but it's also these other stories, like Elijah being fed by ravens when he's just waiting for three years until the next thing. Anybody ever gone through a season like that? You know you're in God's will, but you've got three years since that thing got told to you, and you're just doing the same thing day after day. Elijah knew what that felt like. But when those three years were up, he goes back and he challenges them to a duel. They go up on a mountain again, Mount Carmel. This is the famous story where he calls down fire from heaven. Ever wish you could do that? Man, I always thought that'd be so cool. But, but, but I guarantee you that this is the only time that happened for Elijah. I guarantee you when he's out there making a campfire by the little creek, waiting on the ravens to come, he doesn't go, hey... Kind of like to toast that bread, God. Little fire? Thank you. That's not how it happens. God's not a, a performing dog that just does what we'd like him to do. And yet when it was time, when this big miracle needed to happen, it happened. And then right after that, the rain comes and he has a panic attack and starts running for his life. He's down the valley again. God sends him food. He keeps going. He goes up another mountain. And there's that famous story where he sees the earthquake and the storm and the, all the stuff. And then he knows that God is there in this gentle whisper. Most likely the same gentle whisper he'd been hearing all along whenever God told him to do something. But he finally got it. 
That's God's presence in his life. Mountains, valleys, big winds, waiting forever. That presence was there all along. I'd like to encourage you with that this morning. And keep that in mind as we keep going. Because God makes everything beautiful in its time. In Ecclesiastes 3.11, it says that. I'm going to read that in just a second. First, let me, that every time I read this verse, I, I go back to the one year I was back in America in the middle of growing up in Papua New Guinea. We traveled all over the place visiting the play, uh, all the people who supported my parents. And um, I would sing and play my guitar. And mom and dad's favorite song at the time was a worship song called In His Time. Anybody remember this one? In his time, in his time, he makes all things beautiful. Okay, so here I am. But guess what? That was the year my voice was changing. (laughs) And I had to sing anyway. So I'd get up there and start playing my guitar. And it's like, in his time, in his time, he makes all things. It's terrible. Just absolute torture for everybody there and me and the whole thing. But my voice eventually changed and life moved on and all those people survived and I'm sure they don't remember it and we move on. God does make everything beautiful in his time, no matter how we might have something that makes us question it. Here's what the verse says. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart and yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Everything that God does is so much bigger than anything we can imagine or feel. It is every single time. Even Jesus, when he's physically God walking around on the planet, fully God, fully man at the same time in ways we'll never fully understand. Here he is for 30 years before he even starts his three-year ministry that leads up to that one big week, that leads up to that one big night that leads up to that one amazing Sunday morning that changed everything. You talk about somebody who understood seasons. And if you just pay attention as you read through the Gospels, almost everything that Jesus did and said that got written down and remembered happened in the middle of something. While they were eating, as they walked along, while the Pharisees were doing this, as Jesus was doing this. Does that sound familiar? It, it, he's living his life. He's just doing what needs to be done. I think the ultimate example of God's perfect timing is this, Romans 5. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die For a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Thank God he had the foresight to invest in the moment in something that wouldn't pay off for a really long time. And when you think you have to wait on God, think about all the times that God has to wait on you and me and all his other kids. How hard that must be. Donald Miller writes, and there is something profoundly humbling about knowing God. I'm not talking about the trinket God or the genie in a lamp God. I mean the God who invented the tree in my front yard. The beauty of my sweetheart, the taste of a blueberry, the violence of a river at flood. 
There are a lot of religious trends that would have us controlling God, telling us that if we do this and that and the other, God will jump through our hoops like a monkey. But this other God, this real God, is awesome and strong, all-encompassing and passionate. And for reasons I will never understand, he wants to father us. You want to really understand the idea of seasons, work with kids, teenagers, young adults, people that are going through all the stages you went through not that long ago. Maybe they're your own kids. Maybe they're kids. Maybe they're teens. Maybe they're young adults that you are just choosing to work with. But walking them through those seasons, you learn so much about how God as a father, has to walk us all through them over and over. You see the trends. You see the variations. You see the frustrations. You see the joys in a fresh new light. Well, here's the second big thing that I hope you remember about blueberries and about life and truth. It's not just about any of these fruits. They're just symbols. But here's the second thing it symbolizes today. We're here to add flavor. That's why Christians are on this planet. We're supposed to change things. We're supposed to make the world better. And I think some of the most magical things that happens with blueberries is when it affects something else. I mean, muffins are good, but then there's blueberry muffins. You know what I'm talking about? Pancakes are good. And then there's blueberry pancakes. You know? And for all of you who don't like blueberries, that's okay. We love you. I established that at the very beginning. But at least you get the idea. We add flavor. And you know what you're tasting. You eat a blueberry muffin, you know, oh, that's blueberry. I like that. You take a big bite. Even with the syrup and the butter and the whole thing, the sausage and everything, you taste those blueberries in the blueberry pancakes and you know what you're getting. You know, oh, that's blueberry. This is good. The flavor that we're supposed to add in the world is not flavors that we add, we make up. We go, you know what? I think the world should taste more like hot peppers. I would personally volunteer that. Who, who, anybody want a hot pepper muffin? Actually, me neither. We're called to spread the flavor that God gives us. And it's different. It's different than all the other flavors. Listen to, again to some of the things Jesus says his people should look like, the kind of flavor they're spreading. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Is that how we normally react when people accuse us of stuff or persecute us? Not, no, that's a totally new flavor. That's something different. And he goes on, you are the salt of the earth. Now he's using his own metaphor. It's not even mine, but he's saying the same thing. If the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. But to you who are listening, I say, here's some more stuff Jesus is saying to us. 
Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Does that that taste like just random muffins or pancakes to you? That's blueberry muffins and blueberry pancakes. Are you with me on this? That's a fresh flavor that doesn't happen naturally unless somebody puts it in there. That's what we are called to do. And so many times we as Christians, instead, we compromise. We just kind of take whatever is in the environment and we just kind of pass that along. We try to blend in more than we try to change things. We try to just kind of accept reality and pass reality on than trying to affect it. We forget that we're here to affect it. There's a comedian named Dimitri Martin. He, he said this. You've got to pay attention. It's kind of subtle, but that's my kind of humor. I hope you get the image at least. He says, I was making pancakes the other day, and a fly flew into the kitchen. And that's when I realized that a spatula is a lot like a fly swatter. And a crushed fly is a lot like a blueberry. And a roommate is a lot like a fly eater. That really cracks me up, but I got to tell you, Christians have passed on a lot of dead flies pretending they were blueberries. And there's a lot of people that don't want anything to do with Jesus or church today because they bit into a blueberry muffin and got a fly. And you know how to change that? Remember when I told you, be a good banana? Make sure you're adding blueberries. Are you with me? Make sure you're not just putting in whatever happens to fall in the batter. What happens to be handy. Oh, this would be funny. This would be cool. We are here to add something very specific to the world. Make sure you're adding that. Make sure you're adding Jesus. Here's some more from Jesus himself. No tree, no, I'm sorry, no good tree bears bad fruit. Nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from bushes or thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. An evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. I say it often because I want to make sure you guys get it, that I'm not here to condemn you. I'm here to encourage you, maybe convict you that something needs to change. But more than that, to encourage you that it can change because we have not only your gifts and your willpower, which is probably way better than you think it is, but you also have the Holy Spirit of God himself on your side. And you have all of us on your side. And you can change anything that needs to be changed. But I'd like you to think about that really quickly. What fruit are you producing? What flavor are you adding? 
How intentional are you day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, making sure that you are adding flavor to the world around you? And not just any flavor, the very specific flavor of Jesus Christ. What kind of fruit can people count on getting from you? That's something that all of us have to wrestle with and all of us have to keep coming back to Jesus and saying, I need you to grow through me. And we do that individually and we do that together. A couple of weeks ago, we did an experiment with harmony. I'd like to do a similar thing this morning. Um, it, let, let, I'll show you the parts first and then we'll just work together, okay? So if I hold up one finger, I need you to just rub your hands together like this. So here we go. That's good. Excellent. If I hold up two fingers, I need you to make little snaps. And if you can't make snaps, it's okay. We love you like you are, and it's good. Perfect. If, if I hold up three fingers, I need you to little polite claps, like, you know what I'm talking about? Okay. If I hold up four, I need you to just really, for real clap. You got this. And each section here is a section. And if you just use your imagination for a second, what we're going to do together here is create a little rainstorm. You ready? That was pretty awesome. See what you can do with just a little bit of intention and working together? That's what it's like. That's silly. We're just going like this. There's nothing to that. But we just added some flavor into this room because we did it together and we all were doing the same thing on purpose. That's how it works. Paul says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. That doesn't just mean don't fight That means work together. Everybody play your part. Everybody do your thing at the right time for you. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. 
Another prophet who was really good at understanding all this in his life, it illustrates it perfectly, is Jeremiah. Jeremiah started his ministry when King Josiah was king. King Josiah was a young king, and in his reign, Jeremiah and many others were part of the process of, they, brought, they had lost the scriptures. They had lost uh, everything in the Old Testament that had been written up to that point for years. Nobody even knew where it was. And they found it, and they started reading it aloud again and trying their best to start practicing it again. Jeremiah got to be part of that. But he lived through five, king, five kings. And by the end, despite all of his warning and all of his faithfulness before God and sharing what God was telling them, you, you need to read Jeremiah if you haven't. It's a wonderful book all the way through. But despite all of it and despite all the warnings and the pleadings and all these messages from God, Israel goes into exile in Babylon. They actually take Jeremiah with him. That's a hard season. It would have been a really fun season with King Josiah would have been a lot of really bad ones leading up to the exile and then the exile. In fact, he almost got killed by his own people and he was in prison by his own people. He actually had it better in exile than he had it in his hometown, if you read through the whole story by the end. But this was the guy, as he's going into exile, who said this. You're going to go, Jeremiah 29, the whole chapter says, You're going to go into exile. Don't even bother praying about it. I warned you, you're done. Thus saith the Lord. However, verse 11, but I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to give you hope and a future. Does that sound familiar? We just like that last part. We like putting it on a mug. We just like going, oh, God is just going to give me hope and a future. He's just going to give me good stuff. That's not what that passage is saying. And yet it kind of is because in the midst of going into exile, there's this hope. There's this thing of, hey, you got 70 years. Make the most of those 70 years. Marry. Do business. Do stuff. Make Babylon better so that your people can grow while you're there. Because God has plans for the nation of Israel on the other side. This is a season. And that's how God works at it. And that's how, that's the hope that he gives all of us. Through the seasons, through the crazy stuff, through the mountains and the valleys, through it all, he takes us somewhere. Paul says, in all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus and how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Paul lived this out. Uh, I love the story in Acts 16 where him and Silas are in prison and they sing and God sends an earthquake and they get set free. It's, it's just the whole chapter is amazing. That was the beginning of the church in Philippi. Later, he's in prison again and he writes the book of Philippians to that church in Philippi. And it's one of the most hopeful books in the whole New Testament. If you need some help today, you should just sit down and read the entire book of Philippians. It's fantastic stuff. And the whole thing is where we get stuff like rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice and set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. There's so much powerful stuff in that passage. And it's where he says that he's learned the secret of being content no matter what. But also in that book, he says this, and yet it was kind of you to share my troubles. 
As we start to wrap up this morning, I'd like you to remember one more time. That's pretty good. But it's not enough. Blueberry flavor is good, but you should eat blueberries. We're better together. You know what I'm saying? We need a lot more than just one of us to really make a difference. And even if we as individuals learn what Paul did, even if we as individuals can learn to be content no matter what, to be faithful no matter what, we need each other. That's the design. Much like grapes, blueberries grow and mature and all get ripe together. Locked onto a bush in a certain environment. And we grow together. Would you say that? This, this should sound really familiar. This very phrase has been in, I think, three of the series sermons so far. It's because I want it to stick. Everybody say it with me. Ready? We grow together. We need each other. There's always going to be an individual aspect to your faith with God. There always is and there always has to be. But sometimes that's all we settle for and we're missing most of it. Most of what Jesus taught us was how to treat each other and how to treat the world around us together as one. And we miss all of that if we try to make it just about us. Again, that goes all the way back to God's original design. And God blessed them. This is before the falls, right out at the end of creation. God blessed them. And God said to them, the man and the woman, together. God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And this dream never died. Jesus never gave up on that dream that God was in full control, but he would partner with humans. And somehow the humans would reflect his image. And they would use the creativity and the intelligence and the abilities that he had given them to make what he had created even better. They would add flavor And they would work together to do it. And their differences, the male and female differences would bounce off of each other so that they would actually grow and become even better themselves in the process. And that concept, that idea of working together and growing and changing and making the world together, this has been his dream all along. And when he went to the cross, he was praying this for us. My prayer is not for them alone, that's his disciples right at the moment. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's us. That all of them may be one father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. And then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. One more time at the end, I'd just like to invite you to just kind of, if you would just kind of put your hands like this, maybe even close your eyes. 
But offer the season of your life that you're in right now to God. Father, we ask that you will help us to face all the things that we are facing. We thank you for the blessings that are there. Even in the midst of the pain, even in the midst of the questions, even in the midst of our impatience, God, we say today together that we trust you. And Lord, if there is anyone here today that needs to make a personal decision or needs personal prayer, help us together to support them in that. And help us as individuals, as friendships, as couples, as families, as people mentoring other people, as groups, as one big group, as part of your global family, God, we ask this morning that you will help us to add your flavor to the world around us more than ever before. We pray in Jesus' name.